0: Ladies and gentlemen, today I jumped out of my bed this morning. It is why I do it. It is why I do it. It is days like today the reason I do this podcast. I am so excited for the episode that we have lined up here today. April 5th, opening day in St. Louis, Missouri, the Cardinals are kicking off their home slate here in 2019. Additionally, we have a lot to unpack in regards to the NFL, namely... Mike McCarthy, Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers. There is a lot to get to. This is going to be probably one of my favorite podcasts to this point because I think a lot of what I say, a lot of what I believe in, is tied in to this podcast here. Examples of the infancy stages of some things that are borne out later on. It's all connected. It's episode 12 of the podcast, Strap In. Fifteen months ago, an article came out about a team that was preparing for a playoff game at the time. It was January 2018. The subject was the New England Patriots. They were preparing for a playoff game against the Jacksonville Jaguars, the AFC Championship game. Prior to that game, an individual wrote an article about the alleged discord between their Hall of Fame quarterback Tom Brady Hall of Fame football coach Bill Belichick and their owner Robert Kraft as it pertained to multiple subjects. The writer was Seth Wickersham of ESPN.com, a graduate of the University of Missouri and a writer of very refined skill in journalism and a man of keen talent in regards to storytelling. Before this story came out, before it was first put out to the public, there was a tidbit that leaked the night before. It caught everybody's attention and it would later prove to be untrue. It is why I cautioned everybody the night before to look at the history of not about what is being said, but who is saying it. As I just mentioned, Seth Wickersham is a good writer. However, for those that had read his previous work dating as far back to September 7, 2015, one would know that Seth Wickersham has always had an angle against the New England Patriots organization. It was on that date that Wickersham wrote an article titled, Spygate to Deflategate, Inside What Split the NFL and Patriots Apart. This was the report that was most known for when the NFL allegedly stormed in to the Patriots' facilities and stomped on all of their tapes dating back to the early 2000s when Bill Belichick took over the team, videotapes that were recorded allegedly illegally. It's a deep dive with sources, including those in the league office, different staffers, and a lot of anonymous sourcing. There's also an article from October 2017 titled Tom Brady's Most Dangerous Game. It was one month prior that Tom Brady himself came out with a book called The TB12 Method that talks about all of his training habits, his nutrition, and wellness regimen that he prescribes to. It was very defaming, and it was clear that Wickersham was assigning different parts of the book For an angle that was somewhat of a hidden agenda, but really was not so hidden to some. I tell you all this because this is the same thought process that I had yesterday on Thursday, April 4th, when I looked down at my phone and I had an alert about a report, a story from one Tyler Dunn of Bleacher Report. The title was about the split between Mike McCarthy, the Green Bay Packers, and also their quarterback Aaron Rodgers. I immediately tweeted out at Pete4C, for those that don't follow me. I immediately tweeted out how I was not going to read this article. I was not going to read this article because I don't trust the source. We are in an age as I've mentioned previously, where there is so much media. It is so readily available. It comes straight to our smartphones, straight to our laptops. It's on the internet. There's still print journalism. It is on social media. Bigger, better, and also worse than ever. Tyler Dunn, for all relative accounts, is a young journalist. He works at Bleacher Report, which is renowned. Renowned for their sensationalizing and their clickbait-oriented work. In my opinion, he embodies exactly what Bleacher Report is all about. So it was of no coincidence that Tyler Dunn put out his article... When he did, it was one day after a very fine and respected journalist, a beat writer for ESPN.com, Rob Domofsky, when he publicized his sit down with Mike McCarthy, who talked about his tenure with the Green Bay Packers as their head coach. I chose not to read this article because I do not trust who is doing the talking. However, it is something that I cannot ignore, as it is a major topic of discussion. So while I haven't read the article, I have seen what has come out and listened to a few folks that did read the article about some of the major talking points. My takeaway is that I did not learn anything new from secondhand sourcing with this article. I knew everything prior to this being put out either early Thursday morning or late Wednesday night. Aaron Rodgers still holds a grudge over Mike McCarthy for potentially having an influence in Alex Smith being drafted by the San Francisco 49ers, who Mike McCarthy was a then offensive coordinator for. Wow, shocker. Aaron Rodgers star quarterback of one of the most prominent teams in the National Football League, has a chip on his shoulder to this day. Not exactly an original concept. Tom Brady readily admits that the fact that he was drafted at the end of the sixth round is something he still doesn't let go. Every offseason, Tom Brady shows up with the same answer to how he is approaching the upcoming season. The answer is, I simply want to prove that I am the best option for this team. The other thing that I took from this article, from, again, secondhand sourcing, other people that have read it, is the fact that Aaron Rodgers changed the plays, asked receivers to run a different route than what the play was calling for from Mike McCarthy, the play caller. Again, is this really a shocker? from what we know about Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is the guy that shows up to the bar, doesn't say a word, and is constantly looking around at other people. And if you were to go inside his mind, his mind would be saying, I'm the coolest motherfucker in this place. Aaron Rodgers has always been too cool for school. He's always been the guy that has the right answers. It is no shocker that Aaron Rodgers has changed the plays. He's the ultimate schoolyard quarterback. He's had a lot of success with it, and it's also been his downfall in a lot of football games. Thirdly, in this article, it's been talked about how Aaron Rodgers doesn't have a great relationship with his family, that he doesn't speak to his mother. Again, this is what I'm hearing from other people. This has gone as far back as three, four years ago. For one to pass judgment on Aaron Rodgers and the dynamic inside his family is completely out of bounds. Everybody's dynamic with their family is different. There is no one-size-fits-all to the dynamic of father to son, son to mother, sibling to sibling. What means brother to you does not necessarily mean brother to me. There are certainly similarities. Some people may have relatively the same relationship. But to act as if we might know exactly the dynamic between Aaron Rodgers and his family... ...is complete ignorance. To pass judgment on such a thing... ...would be foolish. I say this all... ...without even getting into the fact... ...that Tyler Dunn, the writer... ...certainly could have had... ...a lot of truth to this article. He could have, theoretically. I would not even put it past him. My problem... ...with reading such an article with Tyler Dunn... ...is that I am suspect of the veracity of this article due to everything prior to yesterday morning or late Wednesday night whenever the article surfaced. Tyler Dunn has consistently shown that he embodies everything that Bleacher Report wants in a writer. Exaggerate. Stretch the truth manipulate the content you are giving from the sources. Make sure what you put out there is juicy and will catch the attention of every social media user. Sensationalize if you have to. And oh, remember, Tyler Dunn is very young in his career as a writer, relatively speaking, to the industry. And if you read his other work it is clear that he is a showboat in regards to vocabulary and he is always auditioning for his next gig when that happens you compromise the integrity of the entire project I did not read this article I don't think it holds a whole lot of value as far as adding to what we already know about Aaron Rodgers, Mike McCarthy, and the Green Bay Packers. And this is a classic example. One that was on display with Seth Wickersham and ESPN 15 months ago. And we had it here today. As consumers, we have more options than ever. But we should challenge those that are involved to deliver us the truth. That is what I do. That is what I did here. I hope you will follow suit in challenging others in the future. I want to stay on something that is related to you and I, the consumers. The consumers of sport and how we should be fairly treated by other people. In this regard, I'm going to again talk about the media. I want to talk about something that happened this week and something that I thought was out of bounds and unfair. It was Tuesday evening, Philadelphia Phillies, Washington Nationals. Bryce Harper's first return to the Capitol. He was in a visitor's uniform. He hit a home run for the Philadelphia Phillies. However, before that, in his first at-bat, he was booed very strongly by the home crowd, as well as some cheers by the Washington National fans. I thought this was totally fine. I thought there was nothing inappropriate about it. I thought there was nothing inappropriate about a traitor sign being thrown up, I believe it was in the outfield of the stadium, or somewhere in the stadium. There were several prominent columnists, both on the internet, in articles, there was a large contingent that thought this was inappropriate by the Washington National fans, and thought they should have behaved differently. My whole problem is not with the subject. My problem is with the entire discussion. Why does media think they have some responsibility to tell fans how they should react? Fans are fans. There is a different level of fandom across the board. Media members are held to a standard, at least traditionally they were. If you ask me, I think the bar is much lower Media is held to a standard that they should be informed, they should be objective, and they should deliver information. They should be a conduit between team and fans. For them to say that this is how a fan base should react or how they should treat an opposing player is ridiculous. There are so many different levels of fandom. It's something that I have tried to always stay cognizant of. I realize that I don't have the same interest level as someone else. We may have a mutual interest, but they may may not pay attention to it as much as I do. It's important to understand that they are allowed to be emotional, reactive. And they are allowed to change their mind because when it's all said and done, they just want to see the team win. I had no problem with them throwing up a traitor sign at Bryce Harper. I feel that fans that go to the game, they go to the game for an escape. In ways, it's a break from reality. The only time I think things are out of bounds is when derogatory terms, insensitive gestures, physical confrontations, that's crossing the line. But saying things like, you suck, I hate you, even some profanity, I think that's all just fine. I think fans go for an escape. I think they do that because it's a break from reality. The Washington National fans did not act out of line. Everything was fairly nebulous relative to how sport and society mesh. I simply wanted to talk about this because I believe in this week we've had a couple of instances between media and consumer. Some dynamics that I thought were important to touch on. We as the consumer, we should demand the truth. We should be careful with who we trust with an ever-growing population of media members And we should also understand our rights as consumers. And you should also know your rights on where you stand as a sports consumer. Say what you want when it has nothing to do with the facts. If it has only to do with emotional investment. Keep it clean. And understand you can be upset at a guy for leaving a city that he was in for seven years. (laughs) Okay, getting into stuff that actually affects wins and losses, stuff on the field, that's typically where I like to keep things, but as you know, I will definitely digress if I feel it's necessary, and that's what I did on the early portion of the podcast, I'll now be getting into stuff that I think actually has a tangible effect on the field, or intangible effect in this regard. Mike McCarthy, as I said, had a sit-down interview with Rob Domofsky. I tweeted it out just yesterday evening. I encourage you to check it out, at Pete4C. You can follow me on all social media, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, same handle, at Pete4C, number four, letter C. But I tweeted it out, and I'll tell it to you now. Rob Domofsky, ESPN.com. Very, very fair beat reporter for the Green Bay Packers, ESPN.com. I love Rob's work. There was a question that he posed to Aaron Rodgers after the Seattle game, a Thursday night game that was in Seattle, Washington. He simply asked a very fair and relevant question. He asked Aaron Rodgers, Aaron, is the season over? The Packers' playoff hopes were very slim. They had just lost, I believe it was their sixth road game of the season. And Aaron, his response, he scoffed at Rob. He was disappointed by the question. And in some regards, Aaron was totally fair is Aaron knows that Rob knows he's only in one position and that is to say no of course the season is not over Rob so Aaron's response was come on Rob and Rob's response to Aaron was well you can't win on the road Aaron it was a very simple yet telling gesture of how Rob Domoski goes about his work. And the reason I bring that up is because we had this sit-down interview with Mike McCarthy. He asked some very fair questions, including Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers' behavior last season. I think he did some nice work, and I encourage you to check out that article. ESPN.com, Rob Domofsky. I may be butchering that name, that Polish name, but he is where I go for a lot of my Packers stuff. And the reason I bring it up is because in that article, Mike McCarthy, he didn't he didn't really look the best. I think he was honest, which some people simply appreciate honesty. I do in some aspects, in some instances. But in this instance, I don't think it was the time for Mike McCarthy to be totally 100% transparent. A guy who has admittedly said he's looking to get back into coaching. If you're looking to get back into coaching and you're not right now, you're taking the year off, you must understand that other people are listening. People are always listening, other teams, other players, other coaches. So if you air things out, if you're 100% honest on how things went with your first go around as a head coach, well, more often than not, that usually sets you back a little bit. So he was transparent. He said he was not happy with the way things ended with the Packers. He thought it couldn't have been handled any worse. He said there was no emotion when Mark Murphy told him he was being let go after their loss to the Arizona Cardinals in December at Lambeau Field. You know me. At this point, you understand that I don't think there's much place for emotion in sports when it comes to those involved, those inside the building. This is results oriented. Win, lose. If you win, you stay. If you lose, you'll be shown the door. That's what happened to Mike McCarthy. I think the Packers, in my opinion, I thought they handled it just fine. It was a build up. It was obvious. They had just lost to what now we know is the worst team in the NFL in twenty eighteen. It was time for a change. He will always be celebrated. He has a street named after him in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And why this isn't necessarily a surprise is something that I heard him say in the same article, Mike McCarthy. He said that emotion is something that he always put into it with his players. He, quote, called them family. And it was at that point I put my palm across my eyes. I couldn't believe it. Family is not football. Football is business. Football is work. The most successful team, arguably ever in the NFL, treats their entire operation like a business, top to bottom. And it's why I think we should all be very cautious on what we think the Cleveland Browns can be. The Cleveland Browns have a lot of talent. I think they're going to win a lot of games this year. I think there's a good chance they make the playoffs. But John Dorsey, since taking over the Browns, has made no secret that he wants a family culture. He talks about his players being family. And it was earlier this week in the initial press conference where there were three Cleveland Brown players Jarvis Landry Odell Beckham Jr. Baker Mayfield they talked about an instance with Freddie Kitchens their head coach Odell Beckham embraced him with I love you I love you? You don't even know him this whole saga saga Not Saga, but this whole idea that a football team must be brothers, must be family. Yeah, you know, maybe that does work initially. Maybe you come together for a short period of time. But I tell you what, the best operations of the game, they're not like that. The Seattle Seahawks, remember how many fights those guys got into on the field? Amongst each other? You know how many fights they got into on the practice field? Richard Sherman admittedly said he told Russell Wilson during a practice after he intercepted him as he was running the football back to the house. He screamed to him, you fucking suck. There's been other instances with him and Earl Thomas getting into a screaming match on the field. They're fighting because this is business for them. Now, ultimately, the Seahawks, they didn't last that long. But it was still a solid six years of success. Because they treated it like a business. I mentioned the Patriots. Teams with family cultures, I don't think they last very long. Those come with an expiration date. The Atlanta Falcons and the Hood. Brotherhood, that didn't go so well last season. When you treat people like family, that's when things can get ugly. That's when things get personal. And in the NFL, nothing can be personal. Everything just has to be honest. This is why you're sticking on. This is why you're getting paid that. This is why we're letting you go. Straightforward, unvarnished, nothing but the truth. I think the Cleveland Browns have a good future. I think they're going to win some games. But Odell Beckham tells us that we're going to look back at this moment. He was talking about the press conference earlier this week. We're going to look back at this and realize it was a bigger moment than we initially thought. Yeah, call me not buying it. Because if the culture is what it is and appears to be what it is, this one's going to last not as long as everyone's going to think. This last topic of discussion, I really think, brings everything together. Brings everything that I've talked about so far together in one sense or another. I began by talking about the Green Bay Packers and how you really need to trust who's doing the talking. I transitioned into Bryce in D.C. My main takeaway there, or my main emphasis, was to talk about any consumer as a fan who is unaffiliated in some regard to sport. Not a media member, not an executive, not part of an organization. Feel free to be emotional in several regards. I then just talked about the Browns culture, how I think it's risky business, family-oriented, doesn't work. It doesn't last that long, and that honest truth and sometimes unpopular decisions need to be made. I think it's all tied in to what we're going to witness on Saturday evening. When Graham Bensinger and his interview with Albert Pools, former Cardinals first baseman, future Hall of Famer, that interview is released. We had a leak. We had a little bit of a preview. It was about seven minutes long. Albert Pools talked about the negotiations with the St. Louis Cardinals and what led him to the St. Louis, or excuse me, to the Angels out in Anaheim. It was a good little preview, got some neat information. It also brought us Meng, for all of you that know Albert Poulos, a guy that has spent just about his entire life in the United States, yet his English isn't as, well, it's not as uh, refined as one might think. And one of the cool things about that is you get to hear Meng all the time. Heard that about a dozen times. And I think this entire conversation when it comes to Albert Pools is so neat. Albert Poole signed with the Angels on December 8th, 2011. I know that date because it's my 18th birthday. I was sitting in my psychology class in Webster Groves High School and one of the social studies teachers, I believe I forget his name, I don't know who he is. He came in and he simply said to the other teacher, "Pool's just signed with the Angels." turned around and shut the door. It's the only time I've ever been in a class where the teacher ended the class. I believe there were still 25 minutes left in that, in that period, you know, third period, whatever it was. He stopped the lecture and said, okay, everyone take out your phone and get the news. He went over to his desk. He started being very emotional, started... Asking questions. What does this mean to his Hall of Fame candidacy? Will he go in as an angel? Will he be a cardinal? Why did he do this? And it was just one example of a city that was very reactive. Very upset. So upset in some regards that some of them crossed the line. I said earlier how you you have the right to be emotional. Unless you were doing something totally, totally out of bounds burning jerseys that's out of bounds but I think it's important to understand that what the Cardinals did was something that was unpopular but it was also honest the St. Louis Cardinals really had no desire to sign Albert Poulos to re-sign him during the 2011 offseason in this interview, in this preview with Ben Singer, revealed that the Cardinals didn't talk to him for a long time after the World Series, when free agency officially begins following the World Series. They didn't talk to him. They didn't engage with talks. And once they did, their original offer was five years, $130 million. Of course, his wife, Dee, she would later come out, And say how that was insulting to him and her and their entire family. And then eventually, during the interview, Albert would talk about how he got a contract from the Angels. And how that contract doesn't reflect the notion that he was simply going to the highest bidder. Because when you calculate California and the cost of living, he makes less. And then he again would point out, and he didn't want to reveal the team, it was Ben Singer who approached it, who named it, he talked about how the Marlins offered him an even higher contract than the Angels. It's been reported that that offer matched the then highest offer in professional sports history, the 10-year, $275 million that Alex Rodriguez signed with the Yankees in 2007. So, it's all just very, very fitting for what we're talking about here today. Because there's been a lot of misconceptions, a lot of misreports, some non reports, some ideas that Albert Poulos left this town because he was greedy, because he wanted money. But then, as time goes on, we learn the truth, we learn the motives. We learned that the team was being honest. He never really had an intention to resign sign Poulos. There was never really any greed in Poulos' motives. He was looking for a commitment. But in the end, it's okay. It's okay that fans, people that are emotionally invested in sport, sport matters. People were emotional. They were reactive. And that's why they did the things that they did, said the things that they said. And ultimately, while maybe some things aren't forgiven, most are. And Albert Poulos will be celebrated on June 21st, 2019, St. Louis, Missouri, Bush Stadium. He will take an at-bat for the first time as a visiting player. And emotion will run thick amongst 40,000 fans. It will be one hell of a Friday evening. And it will encompass a lot of what we're talking about here today. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy opening day for all of you that are from St. Louis. It is Friday, March 5th. Opening day is just about an hour and a half away. Give this a listen before that, before the Clydesdales come out, before the Hall of Famers are seen. Baseball season is back and it's been a great first week. Sorry for not breaking down more Cardinals coverage. However, one week is only one week in a marathon that is Major League Baseball. We'll break that down next week. I appreciate you giving this a listen. I enjoyed this podcast thoroughly. I hope you did too. We will see you next week.